Good morning. Come on, let's give the Lord another applause of praise. Oh, you can do better than that. People get excited at a football match. This is a lot, lot better. You know, I just sensed in my spirit, you know, I thought, Lord, what if this was our last Sunday, our last Easter season before you return? I don't know about you, but I want to make this week really count. We call it Holy Week. But can I encourage you? Let's really lean in. We have a prayer meeting Tuesday mornings right now, just close to here. You can find out on the website or out in the lobby. We're just leaning in for an early hour together, praying for signs and wonders and miracles, exactly like what Pastor Karen read to you, that this incredible touch, and it didn't happen by somebody laying hands or praying, and we'll do that at the end of the service. We'll anoint you with oil. The scripture talks about doing that, but it doesn't take that. It just takes praising the Lord, lifting up praise, and look what he does. So it's great to have all of you here. You look great. You sound great, and I speak your, the blessing of the Easter season over each of you and your family in Jesus' name. When I was a teenager, I was a f- football player, soccer player, and after a match, we came out of the grounds with a group. I was with a group of the guys from team, and my dad was there. He happened to be able to come and watch the game. It was a night game. And a goalkeeper from the team we had just played, huge guy, came up all of a sudden out of nowhere and pushed me and started to try to fight me. And to this day, I don't know why. It was unprovoked in a total surprise. And he was big. And in that moment, my dad stepped out from the group and got in front of me and in this guy's face. Now, my father was a very nice guy. I rarely saw him ever get angry or ever raise his voice. He taught music. He was a college professor. But in that moment, my dad became like a guard dog. He stepped in front of me, and he got in that guy's face, and he's half the size of this guy. My dad was shorter than me. There are people shorter than me. Don't laugh so loud, please. (laughs) This guy was twice his size. He could have squashed my dad like a bug, but my dad got, like, aggressive instead. Who do you think? What are you doing? Like that. And he was so aggressive... So suddenly, came out of nowhere that this guy went, oh, and backed away and and walked away. No fight. And in that moment, my dad's true colors came out. He he was a protective, loving father who wasn't going to let anything happen to his son. I remember I was surprised. And that's what I want to talk to you today as we lean in toward Resurrection Sunday. I want to talk about true colors. And I want to take us to one of the final scenes in Jesus' life in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because you see, true colors is the real you. It's the us under the surface. And it usually does show up in times of stress 
or when we're under pressure. And like most things, Jesus is the ultimate example for us of building into our lives the colors of our character that will never fade, that will take you through every storm and season in life in victory until you reach your destiny in Jesus' name. And so the Gospel of Luke tells us that in Jesus' final hours, he left Jerusalem, and it says that he came out and he went, as was his custom, Scripture will be on screen behind me, to the Mount of Olives. I've been there. It just looks right over the valley of the Kidron Valley, and there's the walls of Jerusalem. And his disciples followed him. So it says he came out and went, as was his custom. And he came to the place, he said to them, where they were going to be, where they were going to pray. And he said, pray that you may enter not into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may enter, may not enter into temptation. This is God's word. This is Jesus' greatest moment of agony. It says there, he was in agony. This is his crisis moment. And there he was beginning to feel the darkness of human sin that was going to be laid on his body as the sacrifice for all of us. He's feeling that. He's feeling the Father beginning to separate his presence from Jesus. And he senses the coming torture, all of that weighing on him. And in that moment, the true colors of Jesus are seen. There's humility, there's courage, there's character that is clearly not from just this moment, but coming out of a life. It's the same for you and me. The character that is in you today, no matter what your age, didn't start this moment. Your daily decisions your choices, how you're living your life, how you think is forming the colors of your character. And in this story, I see five qualities of Jesus' character that are the qualities you and I need to weather the storms of life in victory. Because here we see something coming out of Jesus, a life that was accustomed to being an overcomer in his flesh, to overcoming his humanity 
through spiritual disciplines. That's the first quality I see. You see, Jesus was the Son of God. The Scripture tells us he was fully God and fully man. That's why he often referred to himself as the Son of Man. He was reminding his friends, those listening to him, that he was human. The Scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted In every way, he experienced every physical temptation that you and I experienced, but was without sin. And notice in this story, it said, as was his custom, they came to a place. And that tells me that this place that he went to pray and cry out, there outside the the gates of Jerusalem, It wasn't his first time there. He'd been there before. It was his place. And for thousands of years, the followers of Jesus Christ in every generation have understood, listen, they've understood the importance of a place, of having a place to go and meditate and talk to God. And in a city like this, where we live in very small spaces and apartments, we're not talking about needing to have two or three rooms. We're talking about a chair, a corner, a rock by a lake, a bench in a park. But having a place, I met in in Galilee a few years ago, a priest who lived along the Sea of Galilee in Magdala, near where Mary Magdalene was from. And he told me that part of his daily communion with God is to get up every morning of the year and swim in the Sea of Galilee. And when we were there, it was cold. It was in the wintertime. But it was part of his routine. It was his place. So let me encourage you, if you don't have a place to go and to talk to God, find one. Create in your life an altar. It doesn't have to be fancy, but it's a place that you go to read the scripture, to think, to just start your day or or the end of your day or any time. We know in the book of Daniel, Daniel had a place In front of a window, he would open it up and look out toward the direction of Jerusalem. He did it in the morning, he did it at lunch, and then again in the evening. He had a place. But we not only need places, we also need practices, things we put into practice. I was uh, recently uh, had a checkup with my heart doctor. He says, "I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Praise God. And at the conclusion of the uh, time together, I asked him, I said, so what do you recommend to maintain health? What are some things I ought to practice? And he told me, he said, you know, you and I were brought up in a time when you always cleaned your plate. True. Clean the plate. He said, but when I have a plate of food put in front of me now, I stop before I start and look at it and decide that I'm going to leave some of that food on the plate. And I'm going to do that to remind myself that I'm in charge of how much I eat, not the food. 
You see, that's practicing what we call self-control. And the scripture tells us that we must discipline actively with our mind and physically. We are to discipline and control our bodies. They're to be offered up to God daily as a living sacrifice. So we have to keep them under control. And we're told to run from temptation. Not speak against it, not declare God's power over it, run. There are times when you have to get up and let your legs move. And then the scripture says, along with running away, we have to resist the devil. And he will run from you. Amen. And I love this. God promises in 1 Corinthians that there is no temptation that you will experience that God won't provide a way out. He wants you and I to succeed in having control over our bodies. And he will not allow us to fall if we choose to put in practice self-discipline. And that's what Jesus had to do. And he had a place, he had prayer, he had meditation, he had the scriptures and he knew them. And we must do the same. And so can I encourage you, let this Holy Week be a time to maybe reintroduce into your life having that altar, that place, having those practices of, it's not about how long it is, it's about consistently doing it. But determine in your spirit, you're going to invite the Holy Spirit to enable you to have charge over your physical life, over your thinking, over your whole being in Jesus' name. So that you and I choose this week, I declare it over every one of you, we choose to be an overcomer and not overcome in Jesus' name. So that when the temptations come, we run in victory. So I see that in Jesus' character. And the next thing I see is that he was consciously and consistently in submission to the Father's will. We hear him pray that. And don't you get the sense that wasn't the first time. Yes, this is his crisis moment. But I don't think that's the first time Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, your will be done, not mine. How do I know? Well, I know this. When they ask him, Lord, how do we learn to pray like you? You go off in the morning. We see you leaving before we get up. Well, how do we learn to pray? And he said, here's how you pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May, may your kingdom come and may your will be done here on earth, here in my life, here in my church, the church I go to, here on earth as it already is in heaven. Not your will, Father. Not my will, but yours. Beautiful. See, that's the way to start your day. Brothers and sisters, start it out just stepping out of bed and saying, Father, may your will be done today. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to say the things you want me to say. I want to think your thoughts. Give me your heart for people where I work or in the Kita or in my neighborhood. Every person who connects with me today, let your will 
for them be expressed through my life and my connection to them. You see, when we practice that, practice listening to the Lord in that place of an altar, when we listen to his voice and say, Father, what you want is what I want. Let me love what you love. Let me love your word. Let me love other people. Let me love your church. See, that will open your life to a continual communication where you're hearing the Father's voice because it's his will above all that we become like him in every way. Friends, that's the whole essence of the Christian faith is to know him and the power of his resurrection. It's not being able to list certain prayers or certain uh, theologies and all of that kind of stuff. Those are all secondary to knowing him. Yes. Because listen, if you expect to hear God's voice from others when they're not following it, this is part of the challenge. In order for us to hear God's voice, sometimes we have to cut out other voices. So there's people in your life who don't need to have your ear. Come on. Because if, if they're not listening to him, they really can't help you because you are trying to listen to him. So, Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Give us an attitude that says, Father, let your will be done. See, that's dangerous. You know why we hesitate to pray it? He might want to do something. He want, his will might be what is not mine. I, I may be asked to do, go somewhere, do something, be with people I don't want to go with. And Jesus, again, is our character example. When we let that go, God's plan is only good. He has what's best, and I'm going to trust you. And that's what Jesus was saying in the garden. Father, I want another way. I see what's coming. I don't want to do this in my flesh. I, 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 I don't want to do it, but I'll... Let the cup pass from me. But, Father, not what I want, but what you want. I trust you. And that's his heart. The next thing I see, that's the second quality. Constantly putting himself under the Father's will. The next thing is he was courageously comfortable with choosing his own path. You notice in the scripture here it says that he went apart from the rest. He went away from them. See, Jesus loved his friends. That's why they were there. But there are moments, listen, on your journey when you may have to be comfortable with nobody understanding what comes next. That you're willing to be misunderstood by friends, by family. They don't get what's going on in your life. You see, at this moment, Jesus could not go with his friends He had taken them on the journey with him as far as they could go. They could not help him. He was completely alone at this point. They did not understand what he was going through. And if we step back for a moment, we can ask, who would understand the Son of God watching the Father's presence begin to move away from him to that crisis moment of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me completely? 
There's no one that could have helped Jesus. But I'm not talking about living your life and dealing with things on your own. Do you notice here that even though he had to go apart, that no one could walk with him in this moment, at the same time, he still wanted them close. He still wanted them praying for him. And even if they couldn't fully appreciate what he was getting ready to go through, he still wanted his friends around you. So let me challenge you. Be willing to chart your own path in faith. Be willing to step out even when others don't understand because that will happen. And and that tells God, I trust you alone, Father. I know that you will lead me in the right way. I see here in this story, too, that Jesus was used to a lifestyle of interruption, of supernatural interruption. It says an angel appeared. You know, the scripture says that, be alert. Some of you have entertained angels there. In Hebrews, it says that. Have entertained angels and didn't even know it. And we know people who've had that happen. Karen recently had a a situation here in Berlin where she's pretty sure she had an angel helping her. It happens. But listen, friends, you go, ooh, that's a little scary. Oh, no, they're always good looking. Even if they're dressed in a nurse's outfit. But here's the thing it's not about being ready for an angel. That's what Jesus had. We've got something far better. We've got the paraclete. We have the counselor. We have our greatest friend who will never leave us ever the Holy Spirit, and he will lead us and guide us. But the key here is a lifestyle and a mentality that is not afraid of the supernatural, that's not afraid of someone prophesying, is not afraid. In fact, you are expecting that God will show up and break through in your family, that he'll do miracles, that he'll use you to touch others. And the things that you pray for earnestly, like Jesus did here, God will answer. Jesus' prayer didn't get answered. The Father did not answer his prayer, let the cup pass. He did that so that any prayer that you and I ever pray, he never has to say no again in Jesus' name. So can I challenge us? Live with an expectation of the supernatural. Carry that here into community group, into the children's program, into Fusion Youth. Let's have an expectation that we're not just here for another nice service next Sunday. We're here to encounter the supernatural. And yes, let there be angels. We've had reports over the years since we've been in Berlin of angels that come into our worship service and people that didn't know each other in different years reported seeing the same angels with large vases pouring out living water in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Final thought. And this is one of the most important. You see it in the character of Jesus. Throughout his life and now in this final moment, the focus of his life is the welfare of others. You know, some of us get so upset uh, when people don't pay attention to us. You come into church and we're telling you to serve and to give and to pour yourself out. And I'm sure there are some of you had had a tough week and go, yeah, but when does somebody help me? 
Well, when do my needs get met? You know, and, and, and if there was ever a moment when the disciples needed to sit up, shut up, and be a help to Jesus, they couldn't even stay awake. Some friends. And if he ever needed people to help him, but they didn't. Instead, what we see is Jesus is, is encouraging them. Hey, stay awake. Stay alert. Resist. Don't fall into temptation. He's still thinking about them. And to some of you that are saying, I can't do anything for others. I'm, I'm too messed up. Can I challenge you? I, I want to challenge you right now. Some of you are waiting for your healing And I want to challenge you, stop waiting for your healing and start to be the healing for somebody else. Stop waiting for somebody to help you and be a help to them. You don't have to have an answer to your problem to start to be an answer to somebody else's problem. You don't have to have it all together to start getting together in the church with others. Don't run off. I need kumbaya time just for me. No, you don't. Get in the house, and your healing may come by speaking a word of healing to someone else. Friends, I can't explain it. I wouldn't be able to put up a mathematical chart, but there's this mystery. This is something I've learned through my life and others, and I've observed And we see it here in Jesus' life. Because he didn't stop thinking about others even when he's on the cross. A mocking thief turns after hearing him say, Father, forgive them, the very ones cursing him. And saying, get down from the cross. He hears this and he looks and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your king. He's thinking about, he says, you'll be with me in paradise. And what were Jesus' last words? Father, forgive them, and I'm giving you my spirit. But he's talking about forgiving all the people there, all of us. He's still thinking about us in his moment of crisis. My God, my God. And I I just know this. There's a mystery, friends, that when I'm willing, even in my mess, I'm struggling with that temptation. I'm bitter and angry at that member of my family that hurt me so deeply and they've never said sorry and it's just eating at me. I just know that when I turn and not ignore that those things are there, but when I pray and touch others, simply maybe going out in the lobby and speaking a kind word and somebody that's struggling... Somehow, there is a release of the Father's blessing that can't happen any other way. And and the problems may not completely go away, but something shifts in our spirit. And all of a sudden, I've got a strength there. That, That hurt doesn't hurt as much. I can only tell you, I don't know how that happens, but I know it's what God's call is for your life. And when you and I take those character qualities that I've unpacked here, that Jesus was putting on full display his true colors in the garden, those, the courage and the faith 
and the expectation and the humility and the supernatural love that was still thinking of others, when you and I take those in day after day, they'll start to show up in your Gethsemane moments. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? My time is gone. I had listed here to prophesy. But I'm only going to say this. And the prophecy is this. Church, get ready. Gethsemane moments are coming. That's not a negative. I'm not saying that to speak fear. But our Gethsemane moments are coming. Maybe you're already in the middle of one right now. And here's what I know. If you will put these qualities of the Lord Jesus into your life, you say, yeah, but I don't even know if I believe in him. So what? Put him in there anyway. He'll convince you of who he is. He doesn't need me to do that. But if you will do that, you'll begin to see something shift in your spirit. There'll be a strength. There'll be an attitude of joy that just can't be explained. And it'll take you into victory like you've never seen. And so I speak that over each of you. In Jesus' name.